I find myself in the unenviable position of knowing things that other people don't know. Now, that's not such a bad thing if you consider like a doctor knows things about your anatomy, physiology that the average people don't know. Or you take a brick mason or a stone mason, knows things that average people who don't do that don't know. There's never a problem with that. But when it comes to spiritual matters, if you know something that somebody else doesn't know, you can't build a wall. You can't make a brick wall or stone wall. You can't do something with their body. You're kind of stuck. You just know something that other people don't know. And there's no way to prove it. There's no evidence of it. And so it creates this huge problem, not for me so much, but for people. People imagine that they should be able to know anything there is to know about spirituality, anything there is to know about psychology, anything there is to know about the nature of our being. They think because they have a being, then they should know about it, which is just as stupid as saying, well, because I have a body, I should be able to throw a shot put as far as anybody else in the world. Or because I have a body, I should be able to run the 100-yard dash as fast as anybody else or faster than anybody else in the world. Well, having something does not mean that you use it properly, that you develop it properly. The problem with us is that we're spiritual beings living in a spiritual world governed by spiritual laws. And we think that we're physical beings living in a physical world governed by physical laws. What makes that a problem is that both of those things are true. We are physical beings. We are living in a physical world, phenomenal world, and we are governed by those phenomenal or physical laws. But we are also, at the same time, spiritual beings living in a spiritual world governed by spiritual laws. To bring these two things together is very difficult to do because it's like water and oil. They don't really mix well. The spirit wars against the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. It's a problem. And when you try to solve a problem like that, you're kind of like a trailblazer. The only people who went ahead of you are mystics and saints and people who were born into this realm that we're all born into, but then departed in a, in a sense or, or not, did not departed, but they closed doors here and opened doors somewhere else. And so their experiences and what came through those doors is very different than the experiences that come through the doors that we have open here, the doors of the five senses. So it's problematic. And like I said, it's problematic for you, not so much for me, because I really don't care what you believe or what you don't believe. Whether you think I know something or think I'm a phony or think I don't know anything, I don't really care. That makes no difference to me whatsoever. It doesn't change anything. Any more than saying to me, well, you have blue eyes. That doesn't change the color of my eyes. My eyes are not blue, and you can say it all day long. In fact, you can get everybody here to vote on it, and all of you can unanimously agree that I have blue eyes, but it won't change the color of my eyes. In fact, you get everybody in the world to vote on it, and it won't change it. So none of that makes any difference. What people think or what people want or what people vote on doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change what's so. What's so is that because we have this dual nature, this spiritual or psychological side and this physical phenomenal side, sensual side, because we have that, it's very difficult to 
bring the two together. And you can't really bring the two together. But they say that the work walks on two legs. And the reason they say that is because it's true. The work does indeed walk on two legs. One leg is the spiritual leg, or the psychological leg, the work would call it. And the other leg is the physical leg, or the things that you have to do in order to change your being, or adjust your psychology, or grow spiritually, however you choose to look at it. Another thing that is problematic is I am bilingual. I speak both the spiritual language and the sensual, the physical language, the phenomenal language. And I can go back and forth between them. I can read in one language and understand it in another language. So when I read things, I read both the spiritual and the sensual or the phenomenal, the psychological and the physical at the same time. Whereas many people are not bilingual. They only know the language of the sensual or they only know the language of the spiritual. And that is a handicap. It's a handicap because you go hopping along on one leg instead of walking along on two legs. What we do in our group, what we have done for years, is we've hopped along on one leg for a while and then we change legs and hop along on the other leg for a while. What I like to do now is just walk on both legs and try and teach you how to walk on both legs so that you can make the kind of progress that it's time in life for you to make. See, it's time in your life. You're not youngsters anymore. You're not teenagers. You're not in your 20s. You're not in your 30s. You're not in your 40s anymore. It's time now for you to start to mature in this way. In fact, it's probably past time. Nevertheless, uh, we're going to go back to Living Time by Morris Nichol. Because we left off sometime last year, I guess it was, and we did something else. I can't really remember what it was, but we had just had it. We, we, we just became like a sponge that would not hold another drop of liquid. Nothing. We couldn't absorb anything else. So it was time to change. Now, I get people who were right about the podcast. Well, you're planning on doing this. You're planning on doing that. Well, I don't have plans, and I don't have plans because I don't make plans, and I don't make plans because I try to go by the season. I tried to go by what is needed at the time. And not for the people out there who are listening to podcasts, but for the people here, because this is the group that I'm in. And the extended group, the people with the podcast, well, they're just that. They are like circles out. You know, everything is concentric circles. And they are, you know, there's this circle here where I make the circle, the center of the circle. And then well, there are a few people who are the next circle out, and then there are a few people added to that who are the next circle out, and a few people added to that who are the next circle out. So it's concentric circles. Well, out there somewhere are some circles that we don't even know about. They're orbiting way out there. And so they don't get, you know, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a planet in a solar system orbiting a star. And the ones that are closer to the star get more light and more heat more radiation. They get more of what the sun offers. The further out they are, the less they get. The less they can understand, the less they get. And that's always the way it is, and it's always the way it will be. There's nothing wrong with that. Your job is to try and get closer. That's your job. But a lot of people don't know that that's their job. They think their job is to just have a good time going around and around and around, which is just fine. Then they should do that. So we're going to pick up with Invisibility of Oneself in Living Time, where we left off last year. 
But no one will know that because none of this has really been put on podcast yet. I mean, none of it has been released. I've got four of them already done from last year. We'll pick up with number five now. Morris Nickel says, We can explain a chair by its parts, but this is only one way of thinking about it, one form of truth. And so here we go again back to the two different worlds and the two different bodies that we have. And we're only going to talk about two bodies. We're not going to talk about all our bodies right now. We're just going to talk about the two bodies that we need to discuss now in order to understand this. You have the chair is also explained by the idea in the mind that conceived it. So you have the chair, the physical thing, but then you have the idea that conceived a chair, something to sit on. We've talked about this before. How many different kinds of chairs have you seen in your life? Probably hundreds, possibly thousands. I'm sitting in a chair and Diana's sitting in a chair. Diana's sitting in a rocking chair and I'm sitting in a recliner. Mine is a leather wing back chair. Hers is a carved wooden oak rocker. They are vastly different. But the idea, the basic idea is of something to sit on. The idea is a little different. One is reclined in and the other one is rocked. You can see that there is a basic idea of something to sit in. That's a chair. The chair can be explained in both ways, as I've just explained both of them. Now, you can tell that there can be different ideas or variations on the idea, but there can't be as many variations on the idea as there are different chairs. You can have an exact replica of the chair Diana is sitting in, in ash or walnut, and it's going to be different, or mahogany or cherry wood, and it's going to be different, even though it'll be an exact replica of the one she's sitting in. Now, you take an idea, and there's only one idea, there's that idea of that chair. No quantitative investigation, no chemical analysis or microscopic examination can detect this idea or give us the full meaning of the chair's existence. You can examine all of this chair and see, oh, yes, well, this is leather and this is brass and this is this and this is that or this is oak. And you can see all that. You can find the molecular structure. You can see what kind of stain is on the wood. You can find all of that stuff out. But that is not going to tell you anything about the idea. It's only going to tell you about the physical thing. It's not going to tell you about the spiritual thing. We're going to call the idea spiritual thing. If we ask ourselves, what is the cause of the chair? How can we answer this question? The chair exists before us as a visible object. Its cause has two sides. This is where we get into trouble. Its cause has two sides. On the visible side, it's caused by the wooden parts of which it is made. On the invisible side, it's caused by an idea in somebody's mind. There are three terms, idea, chair, wood. Of course, if you're paying attention at all, you're recognizing that this goes back to a triad. This goes back to the law of three. You've got these three parts, these three terms. And we'll talk about how that unfolds and how that looks when we talk about a chair or a house or whatever. Naturalism or scientific materialism, which is the religion of the day, you do realize that the state religion is science, has been for years now. The state takes our taxes and pays the high priests of science exorbitant amounts of money to find out things for them and to make things for them like bombs and missiles and napalm and rockets and satellites and drones and things like that. Our money is taken and it's given to the high priests of science, which is the religion of our time, because that's what we worship now. People aren't going to like that. 
And you know exactly how much I care about that. So we'll, we'll just go right on. If you don't like it, then go somewhere else. It's just that simple. The only truth that you're going to see is the truth you're ready to see. And if you're not ready to see a truth, I could explain it all day long. I could explain it for light years. And it's not going to make any difference until you are ready to see it. I've kind of gotten what? I don't even know. I've just gotten like it's almost like predestination. If it's your time, it's your time. If it's not your time, well, then hang out. Maybe it'll be your time for something else. You look out in the yard. There's some things that are blooming and some things that are not. Some things that are bearing fruit and some things that are not. It's the same season, but each different plant has its different cycle. People are like that. This is the season that we're in now, and it may not be your cycle to bloom, but it may be your cycle to bear fruit. It may not be your cycle to bloom or bear fruit, but it may be your cycle to bud leaves. We don't know. And unless you are persistent and consistent, then you're not going to find out. If you go from here to there, oh, well, I only only want to bear fruit. So then you have to go run to some other season. You have to go run here or there. But there's an order in everything. Order is heaven's first law. Without order, there is nothing. There is just chaos. And this is not a chaotic universe. This is an ordered universe. And that's the way that is, whether we like it or not. So naturalism or scientific materialism lays stress on the third term. That's the wood. It's going to examine the wood. It's going to examine the molecules. It's going to examine the atoms. It's going to examine the color, the weight, all these different things. It lays stress on the separate material parts which enter into the composition of any object, seeking in them for cause. It's looking for the cause in the material object. The idea behind organized matter is overlooked. It's not essential to their purpose. Who cares? See, the government doesn't care if the high priests of science know about anything spiritual about a drone. They only want a drone that will do what they want it to do. They want a drone that will spy. They want a drone that they can launch things and kill people at long distances from the White House. They have some special room where they sit and watch things that they kill all over the world with their drones. And they watch it on TV live. It's like, oh, look, we just blew up that guy. Or, oh, look, we just blew up a car with this drone. And that's all they care about. They don't care about what happened to the person in that car. Is he dead or is he alive? Then it's all physical. See, they're not concerned with the spiritual or the psychological about that. And that's fine. That's what they're doing and that's their thing. So they're not interested in the idea behind it as much as they are in the thing itself. That which is manifest in time and space engages its attention. And so it cannot help looking for casual origin in the smaller constituent parts of any organism. And also in preceding time, that is in the past. So it's only interested in now, the past, and the future. It's not interested in anything else. The moment of the origin of the chair in time and space can be taken as the moment when the first piece of wood is shaped for its construction. So it was basically born physically in space and time when you picked up the first piece of wood and started to shape it for its construction. A chair is begun visibly with the first piece of wood. A house is begun with the first brick. But prior to the beginning of the chair or house in time or space, the idea of either one of them exists in someone's mind. 
The architect has already the whole conception of the house in his mind before the first brick is laid down. But in translating this idea into visible expression, the smallest part of the house must appear first in passing time. And what are we living in now? We are living in passing time. Where is now? Well, there it goes. <laughs> well, there it goes. It just passed into the past. And the now, which we think is in the future, just came into the now. And now it just passed into the past. So that's why we call it passing time. The architect thinks first of the whole idea of the house as a whole. From that proceeds to smaller and smaller details. But in manifestation in time, this process is reversed. The force of the idea, well, we'll say a house or something to sit on, in order to become manifest in expression has to first pass into the smallest detail. A single brick is the first point of the manifestation of the idea of the house. The first expression in time and space of an idea is one single elementary material constituent, one little elementary part. It all has to start there. Yet the idea is already complete in the architect's mind, but it's invisible. When the house is finished, it expresses the idea in visible form. The house has grown up, in a sense, as something intermediate between the first term, the idea, and the third term, elementary material part. When the house is completed as the second term, the first and third terms through which the construction of the house was affected drop out. They're no longer necessary. Once the chair is completed, you don't need the idea anymore, and you don't need all the parts anymore, the little parts anymore, because the chair is completed. Try and remember this, because there's going to be a test later. <laughs> the idea has found expression in time and space. The separate bricks are no longer thought of as separate bricks, but they become an aggregate, which is the house itself. It's possible to analyze the house into the bricks and the mortar which compose it. It's always possible to say that the bricks are the cause of the house. But it's inadequate because we know the bricks in and of themselves didn't put themselves there. Because the whole structure of the house, its form and the integration of its separate parts, have their ultimate origin in the idea, in the architect's mind. And this idea is not in time and space. It exists elsewhere. And this is our problem. We exist in time and space. We're physical beings living in a physical world governed by physical laws. Yet at the same time, we're spiritual beings governed by spiritual laws living in a spiritual world. That's the world of ideas, we'll say. This idea is not in time and space because there is a whole body of you that is not in time and space. There's a whole body of you that is not in the spiritual world or in eternity, as it were. I mean that it's not in the phenomenal or the visible world. It's obvious that the first and third term, that is, the idea and the elementary brick, are both causal. Clearly, they both are causal. So you have a cause in the spiritual realm, and you have a cause in the material realm. So you have two causes. What the problem is, is that both sides, the mystics are always looking for the spiritual cause, and the scientists are always looking for the physical cause, but they don't come together. And this is the problem, and this is why we go hopping along, and this is why we're out of balance. And you remember, this is all about balancing. This whole growth process is a balancing act. It's the harmonious development of man. And the way to develop harmoniously is to develop in a balanced way. All that scientific materialism finds as causal is correct. It's right on the phenomenal side, on the physical side. But ultimately, it's not sufficient. It's not enough. It doesn't answer all the questions. And idea by itself cannot be cause. Both the first and the third terms are necessary, acting in conjunction. For anything to come into being, there have to be three forces. 
Without those three forces, all of the billions and trillions of things that could happen won't happen until those three forces come together. And then one of those trillions or billions of things will happen, will manifest. In a broad sense, two types of mind exist, one that argues from the first term and the other from the third term. It's a union of both standpoints that's necessary, which is what I started off with. The difficulty is that owing to the laws of time, even the fullest formed and most complete idea must necessarily express itself sequentially. So you have an idea of a house, or you have an idea of a chair, or you have an idea of a table. Table is very simple. It's a slab and four legs. And it doesn't even have to be that. It can be three slabs. A slab on the top, a slab on the side, and a slab on the other side. The slabs can be the legs. That's the simplest form of a table. You take the simplest form of a table, three slabs, and you stand them upright, you know, like Stonehenge, and that's it. But still, it has to be done. The idea pops into your mind all at once, so it's there, full-blown, right now. But it can only be manifested in the world sequentially. First, you have to put up one slab, stand up one slab upright. Then you have to stand the other slab upright. Then you have to take the top slab and put it on those two slabs and fasten it somehow so that you actually have a table. Well, you don't even have to fasten it somehow because gravity can do that if you play your cards right. It's not going to be that stable, but still you have the idea manifested. But you see, it's sequential. You have to stand up the slabs to make the legs, and then you have to put the other slab on top of it to make the table. It expresses itself sequentially in visible manifestation in the most elementary form, first of all. A long period of trial and error may be necessary before it can be properly realized in manifestation. You may have to work for a couple of days to get the slabs upright and get everything balanced out and leveled out to where the slab that's going to be the table, the top part of the table, will stay and not fall over. So you've got to have everything balanced. It may take time to do that. It will always appear to the senses that the first elementary material starting point of the idea in passing into visible manifestation is itself the cause of all that follows. It looks that way. And because it looks that way, the modern doctrine of evolution has arisen. Charles Darwin looked at how things were happening in the physical world. And so the modern doctrine of evolution occurred. I mean, he came up with the modern doctrine of evolution. There it is. That's how things happen. And he's right. And this is where the creationist really screwed up. They think that because these things were ideated, ideated is like created. You create ideas by ideating. Because these things were ideated, they think that that is enough of an answer for a cause. But it's not enough of an answer. It's insufficient because that doesn't tell us how it has to happen physically because it happens in one way psychologically. The idea it's created or ideated. But that doesn't mean that that's how it's going to happen physically. So Darwin looks and he sees how the table is made of these slabs and blah, 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 blah. He sees the evolution of tables. He sees the slab was, well, we could make it lighter. So they cut out an arch in one slab and they cut out an arch in another slab. And then it looks like it has two legs and the legs are joined. They're really just slabs that have been opened up into arches. And then you have a table, but it's just a square table or a diagonal table or whatever. And then someone decides, well, we'll round this, make a round table. So the ideas happen like that. They manifest, bing, 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 bing. But it takes so much time in time and space for that to happen sequentially. And where Darwin got stuck was in time and space with the senses because he was a scientist, a phenomenal person who was interested in the phenomenal manifestation of ideas, although he wasn't thinking so much about ideas as he was in the phenomenon.
Consider the plastic material elements of organized living matter. The world of atoms of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, sulfur, and phosphorus. This marvelous paint box where valency is the mingling power and from which arise an infinite diversity of combinations and groupings and an endless variety of products. Look at the sea and how many different fish, creatures, plankton, plants are in it. It's all made from the same stuff. Atoms, nitrogen, hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, sulfur, phosphorus, etc. This constitutes the third term, the material elements out of which the world and its life are built. This is what Darwin was playing in. This is what the scientists are playing in. Man has a far more limited range, a far grosser range of plastic material that he can use directly. The universe has this huge paint box. We've got a very limited paint box that we can use directly. If his ideas could play directly and easily into the atomic world, what material transformations could he not affect? Can you imagine if you could just think of something, just come up with an idea and then manifest that idea? You could feed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and fishes, just like that, just by thinking about it. But we can't. We all know that's impossible. All the scientists know that's impossible. But there are some scientists who say, but if we could tap our untapped powers, it's all made of the same plastic stuff. So there's really no reason why we couldn't do it. Theoretically, hypothetically, if my mind could play directly into the atomic world of this wooden table upon which I'm writing, I could change it into innumerable substances without any difficulty whatsoever. If my mind could play directly into the atomic world of this chair upon which I'm sitting, I could change it right now into a rocking chair or a vibrating chair or a heating chair that heated while it vibrated and rocked. Well, I've got myself quite a chair already by merely rearranging the atoms which compose it. And if I had this power over the atomic world and I knew the idea of life, I could create life. But it would be mind and idea, not the material elements themselves, that would be true cause in such magic. Are we agreed on that? That's all we're going to do about this, but we can talk about it a little bit. You can see how exciting this can be when you start to bring the two legs together. <laughs> That didn't sound quite right. <laughs> you should say, you, you can see how exciting this could be if you move the two legs apart. But actually, the truth is, is that life gets a lot more exciting when you bring the two legs together. <laughs> and you begin to use them sequentially, one after another, so that you begin to move forward on two legs. Instead of hopping on one leg all this way, and then you end up in that direction. You know, if you walk in a desert and you have nothing to guide you, you will walk in a circle. It's inevitable because one leg is stronger than the other. You will walk in a circle. These, these are facts, whether we like it or not. The only way you can change that is if you have something that you're moving toward. Then when you have a goal, when you have something that you can see and you're moving toward, then you can walk in more or less a straight line. Otherwise, without it, you're going to walk in a big circle. It's not enough, you see, just to have two legs to walk on because one's going to be stronger than another. Let's face it, with mystics, the spiritual leg is stronger. With scientists, the physical leg is stronger. So they're going to walk in a big physical circle and the mystics are going to walk in a big mystical circle. But both are going to come back and bite their own tails. 
Both are going to come back upon themselves. You can see that, right? This is why it's so necessary to have this goal, to have this aim, so that you can set your goal, you can set your aim to develop both spiritually and physically. When I say physically, I mean bring your ideas into manifestation in this realm in an orderly, consistent manner. What you want, not what you get by chance. As it is now, we don't have this goal. As it is now, we're driven by life. We are owned by life. We're run by life. Everything just happens for us. But with this goal and with this understanding of walking on these two legs, you can make better progress. That is our purpose. That's what we're about. That's what we've been about for over 25 years here. Yes, over a quarter of a century. You may not think you've made that much progress over a quarter of a century, but you know, Connie sent me a picture of a redwood the other day that was like 3,000 years old. <laughs> that how old it was? Yeah, 3,000 years old. <laughs> you know, to that redwood, you're a breath. Not even. You know, you're pfft, nothing. To the universe, to this planet, you're pfft, a blade of grass that was here and gone. But to you... This is a long life, and 25 years is like, oh, 25 years, I should have borne more fruit. Says who? What about the century plant that blooms once every 100 years? You've got to put yourself in perspective. And in order to do that, you've got to have a bigger universe and a bigger consciousness so that you can begin to see where you fit in the great ray of creation. That will help you to realize your significance and your insignificance at the same time. And that's a very valuable thing. It gives you hope and it gives you humility. The two H's that you really need, hope and humility. I'd say you need humility more because we all have so much pride and vanity. <laughs> Connie and I were sitting at a place last night and she was talking about something and she said, wow, I'm really vain. <laughs> I said, yeah, you really are. I said, but you know, we all really are. I'm really vain. I just hope that I'm not as vain as I was a few years ago, or 10 years ago, or a few weeks ago. And if we're working on ourselves, we're able to see that there will be some changes psychologically, and that if we make those changes properly and in their proper time psychologically, then there will be changes that manifest here in the phenomenal world in an orderly fashion. That's what this is about. That's how this works. If we know this, we can't get discouraged by not getting results in the phenomenal world. We know that those results will come if we're doing what we need to be doing in the psychological or the spiritual realm. So I'm looking forward to living time because we are living time, but at the same time, we are eternal. And that's a conundrum for most people who are one-legged or who think they only have one leg or who have one leg that's so much stronger than the other and they end up walking around in circles. We're not gonna do that. We're going to make better progress. Truth is everything.